And we're back with part two of Heath and Angela's uh, top five favorite sci-fi. Uh, as you recall, so far, Firefly and Doctor Who have made the list. So, that having been settled, let's move on. Show number three. Star Trek The Next Generation Set decades after the adventures of Captain Kirk, this show chronicles the adventures of the Enterprise D, the flagship of the Federation, going where no one has gone before. Star Trek The Next Generation Do 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 Oh we've already do, do, done do, do, that. Do. Yes, we're yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, what we love about... Okay, first off, why did we pick Star Trek The Next Generation? You know, Star Trek, it has TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise. Uh, Enterprise yeah. Uh, the animated series. That's right, we've watched the animated series. Uh, it's surprisingly good, <laughs> even when it's weird He-Man era animation. It's good stuff. Um, this show, uh, we like TNG because... It, uh, well, it has the nostalgia factor yeah. now. I, I grew up with it, personally. Oh, My yes. dad was a huge fan and had all of the episodes recorded, and I wore out those VHS tapes. And <laughs> Yeah, and we really picked it as sort of a stand-in for the whole Star Trek series. Mm. Um, we picked it over TOS because it really set the standard, I think, for the modern sci-fi show. Um, a, a lot of great shows, again, Battlestar Galactica comes to mind, Farscape, all these shows where you have a crew of interesting people in a ship flying around having misadventures, um, with lots of soap opera e-drama. Yeah. I, I really point to TNG for that. Uh, the original series, you know, they called it the wagon train to the stars, and it was. It took the whole Western concept, uh, Western as in, you know, Cowboys with yeah. guns riding horses. Uh, it took it and it put it in space, and it did a great job. And it went beyond that too. Uh, a lot of great episodes explored the the issues of the day, and did so in in a, in a fascinating way. Um, but TNG for us, it took it into the modern era and did it beautifully. Mm. Uh, so, what did we love about TNG? Jean Luc Picard, for one thing. <laughs> the English Frenchman. The English Frenchman. Yes, he. Uh, I can't. Yeah, Jean Luc. Anyway, yes. I, my my theory is that England will eventually take over France in the future. And although <laughs> Picard and Riker uh, discuss flags, and Picard specifically mentions the French flag, so if England does take over, it lets. France keep their their flags anyway. Of course, they're really nice, as we've seen in the British Empire. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Picard is an awesome captain and an awesome character. He really is to me. He's he's the linchpin of this show, uh, in a lot of ways. But it's a great use of an ensemble cast. Yeah, if the there's anything part. that the original series sort of suffered for that they tried to make up with with the movies is that they focused on the main three. Uh, That's right. Kirk, Three Spock, people are on a McCoy. planet. Who is it? Yeah, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. And along the red with shirt. Red-shirted Ensign, who's 
destined to die. Yes. Perhaps by being turned into a small white cube, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really became a three-person show in a lot of ways. Uh, which is a shame because, you know, the show was trying to break some barriers. It had Nichelle Nichols as a black female officer, which at the time and uh, and the, the culture was an amazing thing. Yeah, even though uh, she was a switchboard operator. Yes. <laughs> and again, you had uh, someone of Japanese descent. You had someone of, of Russian heritage uh, on the ship. Again, given the climate at the time, an amazing thing. He was... Uh, Roddenberry was trying to show a future in which these uh, cultural differences and, uh, that we've let divide uh, humanity will somehow be healed by uh, by, by, by that time. Yeah. And, and it, there's there's a brighter future in which, you know, people uh, can all get along. Uh, but for all that, when it really comes down to the plots, it's Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. At least the interesting plots. Yeah, true enough. So... <laughs> Uh, TNG, however, really did, I think, a better job of using all of its characters. Uh, yeah, even the ones that weren't very good. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So, yeah, great use of ensemble. Again, it met this sort of the same challenge that Doctor Who had. Uh, it had to continue a tradition of, of a, a beloved series and still move forward, and it did that well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it took the mythos and the universe, but it moved forward with it. Uh, again, there's drama, there's humor, there's action. Maybe a little bit light on the action in TNG. Yeah. I mean, there was action, but more drama and humor. I mean, you had the captain as the ultimate diplomacist, so he wasn't often going to get into a Kirk fist fight. Right. And, uh... This show, is, as far as continuing traditions, it did continue a great tradition uh, that really started with Spock. And having a sci-fi character who is trying to determine or find his, his own identity. Mm. Spock was a half-Vulcan, half-human. Uh, he is a Starfleet officer, yet he comes from a society uh, that's thousands of more years advanced with, with a philosophy that you know they've been following since before humans were... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So again, he's he's sort of in this weird role of is he a Vulcan? Is he a human? The view, humans make fun of him for being a Vulcan. Uh, the Vulcans look down on him for hanging out with these humans all the time, uh, and joining Starfleet, which is you know they sort of look down on. Uh, some of this comes out more in other incarnations than TOS, yeah. but again, um, they continue this tradition well in TNG with Data, uh, an android that wants to become more human, whose goal is to understand humanity. And Worf. Uh, yes, a Klingon who was um, raised by a human family, and so is separated from his, you know, early culture, um, but still can't fit in with humans because they've had a still fairly recent war with the Klingons. Right. And he looks like a Klingon. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, TNG really continues that tradition very well. Uh, something else we love about the show. Q. Q. I love Q. Okay, starting, I mean, first episode, you have this godlike character that, you know, has ultimate cosmic power, not in a little bitty space. Um, 
And he's pu- he's putting them on trial. He's putting humanity on trial. And he becomes this sort of recurring trickster character that can be used in so many ways. Sometimes not very well. But for the most part, <laughs> you know, he's really another thing that distinguishes this series from other series around them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just that mercurial, puckish nature of his, its it adds a, a, a nice twist to a lot of their shows, uh, episodes, rather. Um, so let's see. Uh, another thing we love about the show, and really, I guess, the last thing we ought to mention, we're going really long on we this. We are. Um, is its optimism. As we mentioned, Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry, uh, the great bird of the universe, very optimistic about the future of humanity. And that really shines in uh, in TNG. He really believes or believed uh, that you know everything will get better one day. That we're going to find a way to peacefully coexist with each other, and that our journey uh, is not going to to end here. You know that that there's there's still somewhere for humanity to to go and to explore and and to grow and. It's a great message, and it yeah. really rings true um, in this. So it, it has that Roddenberry touch to it that uh, you get the warm fuzzies. You do. So, okay, that's what we love about TNG. Oh, one what more we thing we love, love oh. the holodeck. Holodecks are awesome. I want a holodeck. Me too. Who can't love a holodeck? Just, you know, yes. program anything you want and live it. It's fun. It is. All right. So what do we not like about TNG? All right. If TOS was the wagon train to the stars, uh, TNG is uh, Days of Our Stars. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a soap opera in space, which works a lot. And sometimes it's a little bit too much of a soap opera in space. You know, a whole episode or two or three about Picard being uncomfortable around children. Long, boring talks with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's a little bit too soap opera-y, and a little goes a long way there. Um, yeah. And then another thing that we didn't like. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry had this great optimism for the future, but that meant that the future humans had reached this perfectibility and therefore did not have any conflict, which led to no character conflict, which led to boringness. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes it was a little stilted, and this is one of the things that the writers and Roddenberry would struggle on, and as, as his health declined, that the other writers would ultimately sort of wrest control away from him and take in yeah. a different direction, which may not have been a bad thing, but is adding con- yeah. more conflict. Because, um, of course, you know, we know that the creators of certain uh, science fiction properties are infallible. All of their ideas are perfect. <clears throat> Lucas. <Yeah. clears throat> really, Jar Jar? Okay. Um, so yeah, sometimes this humanity is great and wonderful shtick gets a bit boring. Yeah. And we need some nice flawed humanity that aren't just, you know, stand-ins like uh, Ferengi to represent greed and whatnot. We need actual humans with actual problems. Yes. And maybe uh, the main characters having actual exactly. problems. Yes, yes. Um, again, much like Doctor Who, overuse of plots 
Hey, it's a strange energy being. It's attacking us. Oh, it's just scared. Let's be friends with it. That's like 11 episodes of TNG. Uh, and TOS... even more in Voyager. Oh, yes. Yeah, sometimes one right after the other. Um, uh, the original series, it did this really well with Devil in the Dark. And so, oh, it's this monster and it's eating people. And oh, wait, we killed all of its babies. Uh, but Yeah, we suck. But yeah, it's it gets overused. Yeah. A lot of times. Yeah. And again, yeah, there there are other plots as well. Um, you know, Troy's getting mind raped. Again. again. Must be Tuesday. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, that's the thing with these long-running series like that. Uh, and TNG had a very good run. Was it uh, yeah. seven seasons? Or was it eight seasons? It was seven. So, yeah, seven and then the movies, right. Yes. Um, yeah. Sometimes plots sort of come back and we're doing the same thing all over again. And sometimes when you're being so experimental and just throwing everything on the wall and seeing what sticks, you get really goofy writing. You get actors who are uncomfortable with their characters. And so you get kind of wooden acting. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the first season of TNG. Oh, yeah. It was rough. Uh, You know, again, we talked about jumping... Uh, the shark is is when a show, a good show, gets really bad. Well, with TNG, we got growing the beard, and that's when a show is starting to mature and become much, much better. And we saw that with Riker. Uh, first season, Riker with no beard, the show was bad. Riker grows a beard, the show gets awesome. <laughs> Riker's beard controls the universe. <laughs> uh, another thing we didn't like about TNG, Wesley. Oh, Wesley. We're, and. We love Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton is an awesome guy, and if you don't read his blog or watch him on the Geek and Sundry channel, you really should, because he's a he's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and he's achieved uh, geek goddom, really, you yes, know? Yes, yes. Uh, but Wesley Crusher, the character, had some problems. Viewed a lot as, as sort of a stand-in for Roddenberry, as, as sort of the super kid genius on this wild ride and you know most, it got annoying yeah and mostly you just wanted to beat him up yeah that smug little face and with those ugly ugly sweaters and, and the way that he would solve all of the problems yes yeah, well what are they teaching starfleet people nowadays <laughs> when the 12 year old is is flying the ship and yeah okay so, again, Wesley. That's a whole series of problems with TNG that we're mm. just not going to go into. No. Again, we're sorry, Will Wheaton. We think you're awesome. And moving on. Uh, so, the last thing that we'll mention is that in later seasons, and really in the movies, um, the show it lost its ensemble quality and started focusing mainly on Picard and Data. Yeah, Beverly Crusher disappeared. Yeah. Like, I don't even know what she did in that last movie. She was busy <laughs> doing something. I don't know. Um, yeah, and it sort of became the Kurt Spock McCoy thing, except it was just the Picard and Data show starring Picard and Data. Now, are they the two best characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. They, they I mean, are. Awesome captain and this android. Plus, Brent Spiner is an amazing actor. Yeah. Uh, he has, like, all this comic timing, and um, he makes this, you know, what could be a very boring robot character really funny and likable and intriguing and 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 full of uh, pathos and and you, you relate to him. Patrick Stewart is I mean do we even have to talk about Patrick Stewart? No. He's he's awesome. 
I mean, everything he does, that voice, quoting Shakespeare all the time, for no particular reason sometimes, but, you know, <laughs> great. Uh, again, so they're probably the two best characters, for us at least, yeah. but... Again, the show was really strong in its on use of a, of, a, of an ensemble, and it lost that. Uh, and I, I think that's sort of a tragedy. Still loved First Contact so much. Oh, but... <laughs> so good. But again, it, it used other characters other than Picard and Data, even though yeah. they got the most screen time. Yeah, I mean, the other characters were like, hey, we have to build this ship. And then Picard and Data are off fighting the Borg. <laughs> So, I don't know. Troy had okay. the funny drunk scene with the guy from Babe. That's right. She did get one scene in that movie. She yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, favorite characters. Again, Picard and Data. Yeah. Continuing yeah. the Spock tradition and Patrick Stewart being awesome. Yes. All uh, right. So... The next show, and of all the shows on the list, this is the one that I think probably most the, the most of you might not have heard of. Yeah. Cowboy Bebop. A group of luckless bounty hunters wander the galaxy, chasing after bounties and trying not to lose all their money while doing it. Also, there's a corgi. Cowboy Bebop. This is an anime show, and uh, it is uh, an awesome sci-fi show. Yeah. Uh, if you're not really into anime or familiar with anime and are maybe looking for a series to, to kind of introduce you to the genre, I would highly recommend this one. It has fewer of the anime tropes that are sort of confusing to first-time viewers. It's much more realistic and film noir, and it's just... An awesome story that I really think sci-fi fans would love. Yes. First thing is music, music, music. I mean, you heard yes. the theme song that we just played. Fantabulous. It, this shows music, and this is not an exaggeration or hyperbole here. This is possibly the best use of music on any television show ever. Yep. Uh, the soundtrack may be better than the show, which is awesome. Um, Yoko Kano uh, composed most of the music for this show well not, not most, all of the music all of for the show and it's an amazing soundtrack Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's actually three or four soundtrack yeah. albums have been released from music for, that have, has been used for this show and you know she combines just jazz and um, blues and all of this um, western stuff like usually with anime you get J-pop which is Japanese pop music, and it's which I like fine. a lot of J-pop. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of times it doesn't really match the series very well, and, and you know it's it's just there. This episode, this series does a neat thing, in which really each episode uh, sort of features a different genre of music. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the the names of the episodes will reflect the soundtrack that's given to them such care and detail is put into it it's awesome music uh not gonna belabor the point just download the soundtrack or, or have a listen to it on itunes or something you you would love it yeah um 
Plot-wise, this show is a lot like Firefly. It, it creates this re- very real, futuristic, gritty universe. Band of uh, Misfits can... and Outlaws. Yes, Band of Misfits, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you can believe it. I mean, this, you know, is a possible future for humanity, perhaps. Um, it's not really so much about aliens. Uh, it's, it's about humans' place in the universe once we leave Earth. Yeah. Uh, but it stands out among anime. I mean, it's not your, you know, high school girls with magic powers or people fighting with giant robots. Okay, maybe there's a couple of giant robot fights. And occasionally, you know, of. they get into martial arts type fights. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, but that's not important. No, it's it's more of, of a film noir story. It's, it's gritty realism, and it's it's really in stark contrast to, like, the straight-up cuteness or horror or one-note genre uh settings of a lot of other anime yeah and it is so funny yes so funny and then can go to so horrifying and so sad on a dime yes uh again it it straddles a lot of genres um I guess its overriding genre would be sci-fi but not really it's really just more of a Film noir. I don't know how yeah. to... <laughs> in space. Um, in space, yeah. And of course they use the cowboy mo- motif, like Firefly mm-hmm. and like Star Trek TOS, mm-hmm. um, very well. I-, I guess I-, I guess they use westerns as sort of the rough-and-tumble frontier thing. Right. Yeah, space is the final frontier. It is. <laughs> um characters amazing characters mm. uh they all i'm not going to talk about each of them individually but they all have uh this great backstory they're all well explored uh some a little more fleshed out than others ultimately but mm. it does them all justice uh great chemistry and, and mix of cast here and then another thing that we really liked about this series uh if, if you're not really familiar with anime Anime has notoriously poor uh, dubbing uh, when they mm. do the, the English uh, voices over the over the Japanese. Especially um, back in the good old days, and I use good with quote marks around it. Y- you know what yeah. I'm talking about. Sailor Moon, early Dragon Ball Z, just yeah. really... Speed Racer. Speed Racer <laughs> is probably your... Oh no, Speed is going to be in the race. Oh, he is going to crash and die. No, we must not let Speed Racer crash and die. Oh no, what are we going to do now? Yes, uh, like, yeah, bad paraphrasing, just screaming everything. You know, just this classic, like, bad dubs. Yeah. But, um, and yeah, a lot of, like, elite, uh, elitist anime fans sort of insist on subtitles. And with some of the kind of bad dubbing that you see, that, that can be justified. This show, uh, its English dub, it sets a higher standard. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, if you listen to it, then you may recognize um, the protagonist as um, the voice of Tom the Robot from Toonami. Um, Really, really good voice, all of them. Uh, Not only good voices, but kind of better than the Japanese. And, And I always hesitate to say that. Yeah. I guess more matching what Western audiences would expect from these characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and yeah, that's the dialogue is handled well. It's well translated. The 
what they're saying usually matches their movements of their mouths fairly well, uh, which is a, a trick in and of itself. Yeah. Gotta get uh, the lip, so, yeah. lip flap right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, it's really good uh, at that. Um, it's it's a great anime, and uh, this is I don't know whether to count this as something we like or something we don't like, but just a note: if you're not really into anime, don't make the mistake of thinking that because this is a cartoon, uh, because it's animated, that it's going to be sunshine and happy endings. Uh, this yeah. show is about gritty realism. I mean, well, <laughs> realism for a mm-hmm. show that's in space. But yeah, gritty realism. Uh, and, and actions have consequences, and it can get dark very quickly. Especially, you know, you'll be laughing one moment, and the next you just won't know what to think. Yeah. Um, so if if you want to get into this series, which I highly, highly recommend this series to anyone, uh, be aware of that. Uh, be be aware that your emotions might get wrecked. A lot. Right. So, uh, a couple of things we didn't like. Yeah, yeah. We made the... Um... We made the criticism that with Firefly, we got too many concepts and characters all at once. You know, nine characters thrown at us there at the beginning. With Cowboy Bebop, it's sort of the opposite problem. It takes forever for the ensemble cast to assemble. Yeah, it's like I'm... episode six, and you're like, aren't there, aren't there four people in the opening credits? <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not like the early episodes. It's not like you're watching thinking, well, there's not enough people on this show. It's not that like you're, it's particularly lacking. This is more of a retrospect thing yeah. because this show has really good characters. And you end up kind of wishing that they had had more time together. Yeah. So you could see these relationships because it's it's really good relationships uh, in this show. Um so yeah, that's probably the criticism there. It's really hard to criticize it otherwise because it's one of those things where, you know, being an anime, it has enough against it for a lot of uh, audiences already. People who are just, oh, this is a Japanese cartoon. I don't want to watch that. But so we're not even going to bother criticizing it too much. Just yeah. believe us when we say this is a great show. It, it, it really it is. is. And uh, favorite character, we really, I, I, I could not decide. Um, it's again, it's it's a strong ensemble show. Every character plays a part in the. It's is an ingredient in the the great pizza of this show. It's greater than the sum of it of its parts. Yeah. I, I like them all. I I sort of liked um, Jet, who's sort of the um, almost sidekick character. He's the big burly guy who's also kind of uh, nurturing to them, but. You know, he has this mysterious backstory, but he's really, really loyal to everyone. I don't know. Again, yeah. I, I guess, you know, going for the um, secondary hero is more my speed. <laughs> yeah, so Cowboy Bebop, watch it. It's awesome. Yes. All right. And number five on our list, the last one that we will uh, talk about is... Futurama. Fry, a pizza delivery guy, is accidentally cryogenically frozen in 1999 and wakes up in the year 2999, where he promptly gets a job as a delivery boy, but this time in space. Futurama. 
Now, this was a tough decision. It really was. We kept going back and forth over what would be the fifth slot. The The first four were real easy. But we finally decided that, uh, really mainly because of our definition of sci-fi, uh, that Futurama deserved the spot more than some others. Yeah. Um, it's a great show. Uh, it is funny. It is one of the funniest written and consistently funny written shows on TV ever. Uh, it's like, you know, the folks who cut their teeth writing The Simpsons, they bring that touch to this sort of sci-fi serial, and they do a great job with it. Uh, it's it's a great kind of humor. Yeah, and it it doesn't get old. Like, it's still going on. Of course, this is one of those shows that got canceled by Fox. Fox! Thank you. Why? <laughs> but unlike a live-action show, you can actually... You know, not have the characters age over much and bring it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which they did, Which and they it's did. awesome. And and the humor on this show, it it's not, you know, a lot of animated shows that are sort of aimed at, at adults more. Family Guy, South Park, American Dad, Robot Chicken. Yeah. The humor is gets kind of mean spirited or just straight up dirty or vulgar. Oh, gross. At, yeah, relying on sort of the blue comedy or, again, with Family Guy, especially in later seasons, just really, really political and and yammering. Yeah. I mean, to, to a, and again, I guess the show is aware of that because Family Guy, because it points it out in several episodes. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, or like Futurama. South Park that, you know, you have to watch an episode in context with what year that was. Because they yeah. get too topical. Yeah, extremely topical. And yeah, with South Park especially, extremely just dirty and trying to outdo itself in what grotesque things yeah. it can put on screen. Now, you know, sometimes that's funny. Uh, I'm, I'm not just knocking those shows, but I'm saying that Futurama is a different kind of humor. Yeah, It's, for the most part, clean and, uh, and really light-hearted. And, you know, by and large, parents can watch this show with their kids, and any jokes that are slipped in that are too dirty, the kids wouldn't get anyway. And you've got sort of this optimism about it. Yeah. You know, I know we've used that word before, but I guess the idea of science fiction being, you know, that things will get better. Even if things have gotten worse, things can mm-hmm. get better. Yeah. Yeah, it def- definitely has that message. And uh, one thing about this show that's probably, it's, I don't know if it's, I'll say greatest greatest strength, but it, it's amazing. It's sense of in-universe continuity. Yeah. Detail here. So much detail. You know, if, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you know, when you throw in time travel and whatnot and, and aliens, you end up contradicting past rules that you've set. Um this show is so careful to play by its own rules. It's amazing. And and yeah, their time travel rules, especially yeah. uh, in some of the later seasons and movies that they do, it's cool. But They even have an in-universe alien language that follows the rules of language. One of the writers actually sat down and... <laughs> formulated yeah, and it, a language a written invented language. a language and it's telling a completely different story and snatches of this language in every episode yes uh it's kind of creepy um 
So, yeah, it's really great continuity. It's self-referential, and it does so, so well. Like, referencing earlier episodes all the time. to where, And it's not like you have to have watched the whole series to enjoy a particular episode. You don't. You could watch the show on any given episode and probably get a, a good laugh out of it. But it, it rewards longtime fans with nice little nods and winks. Yeah. Um... Again, genre mixing. Uh, chiefly, this is a comedy. This is an animated comedy. It also has some fun action and some surprisingly intense dramatic moments. Uh, I, I don't mind telling you, I have cried on several occasions watching this stupid cartoon. Me too, um, but I cry at the drop of a hat. Uh, that's true. Don't drop your hat. Oh. Um, this show, I mean, it can have such depth of emotion and character so much more than it, it it's it's amazing really and it uh let's see again it uses a sci-fi format well to address larger issues but you know even when it does get political or topical it's not overly snarky it's not overly preachy they leave the sledgehammers uh, at home yeah if it, it might present a point of view but it does it with a wink and a smile and uh oh another neat thing uh, not only self-referential, but it's references to other sci-fi franchises. Yeah, the Star Trek parody, um, I think one of the early seasons had a whole episode parodying Star Trek, is one of the best Star Trek parodies ever. It's just great. Just Not only just making fun of it, but doing it really, really with a love for the original material and yes. um, knowing that original material very well. Yeah, I mean, that episode brought on like a lot of the original series cast. Um, yeah, and again, if, if you're a Star Trek fan watching that episode, you feel how big of fans these guys are. Yeah. Uh, even while they're doing this sort of a send-up here. But again, just even like, not even when it's a huge episode to reference or something, but... You know, if they'll be flying around in space, and then a spaceship that they'll fly by will be like um, the satellite of love from Mystery Science mm-hmm. Theater 3000. Or, you know, yeah, they'll be in a robot shop, and one of those robots will show up. Or, you know, they'll fly by, and, and a Klingon battlecruiser will... Or they'll be cutting a cutting a, a, up a roast with a, a Klingon batleff. I mean, it'll... Yeah. Just little, like, completely throwaway nothing references, but... For geeks and and for sci-fi fans, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, these guys are, they're they're, they're one of us. They're okay guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, this it's a show that can be enjoyed on many levels. You know, you can sit back and you can watch it uh, without thinking too hard about it. And other episodes, especially with time travel paradoxes and inter, tri- intra-dimensional whatchamahoozits, you know, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, wibbly wobbly. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those shows, yeah, you got to keep it like a diagram to keep the plot straight on sometimes. But it's one of those shows that I can watch over and over. I mean, even if it's an episode I've seen two or three times, if I'm flipping channels looking for something to be on the TV while I'm cooking dinner, I'm like, oh, good, Futurama. I'm not going, yeah, you don't want to do that with South Park, necessarily, because there could be just horrible, horrible yeah. things on South Park that you, you don't want to see or think about sometimes. Especially around dinner. Yeah, especially around dinner. <laughs> Um, again, uh, again, it's, an, it's a show that inspired fans. Fox stopped believing in it. Uh, fans, they brought it back. Yep. Um, because 
Fox, for some reason, cancels everything that is good. Why, Fox? Why? Maybe, <laughs> maybe Fox will learn one day. We hope so. Well, hey, you can't blame them on Dollhouse. They at least... They gave them a second season. They gave them a second season, and they told them that it wouldn't be renewed in a fair amount of time. Let them finish. So, I don't know. Maybe they learned their lesson there. Maybe. <laughs> uh, what's not to like about Futurama? Not a lot. Not, my, not much. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's some, some weaker episodes. And some may get a little bit preachy. And if you're waiting for Fry and Leela to finally really get together, um, keep waiting, I guess. Uh, a long time. Yeah. Uh, this isn't uh, Ross and Rachel here. Um but overall, this is a 30-minute animated show that is consistently better than it ever, ever had to be. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like another show that could have almost made this list, given some of its plots, but Community. Uh, Community we really liked. It's just a neat little um, sitcom on NBC. But it Again, better than it has to be. Better than it had to be, and I hope they haven't messed it up by getting rid of its creator. <laughs> we'll see. That one's still going on for now. Alright, favorite character. Um, this one was surprising because we had to think about it a long time because we love the ensemble, mm-hmm. for one thing. Yeah, but strangely enough, and given awesome supporting characters in this show, Angel and I both really agreed that Fry, as just your sort of hapless everyman, is our favorite. Yeah. I mean, he has... He's sort of like Lister, in a lot of ways, in that he's a delivery guy, he doesn't have any ambition. Um, he's he, not the brightest guy around, or the hardest working. He, he likes to lay around collecting stains on his shirt. <laughs> but there's so much heart that goes into that character. I mean, his love for Leela, his friendship with all the other characters, his trying to figure out his purpose in life when... Um, the show begins that he's been cryogenically frozen for, what, 3,000 years? 1,000. 1,000 years. Um, 1,000 years, 3 million years, you know, yeah. who knows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, really, um, it, it borrowed a little bit from Red Dwarf mm-hmm. in that respect, I think, as far as its basic premise and maybe some of its characterization. Um, but for now, anyway, I'm I'm not sympathizing or empathizing with Lister quite as much as I do Fry, but, you know, again, give it time. I'm barely into Red Dwarf right now. Uh, We've got a long way to go. So, those are our top five. Uh, Again, for our British fans, we clearly said Doctor Who, Firefly, Star Trek TNG, uh, Cowboy Bebop, and Futurama. And for our American fans, we we obviously said Firefly, Doctor Who, (laughs) Star Trek TNG, uh, Cowboy Bebop, and Futurama. Uh, we have gone much longer than we ever meant to. Yeah. Two honorable mentions that we will throw in. Number one, Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Scientist Sam Beckett finds himself trapped in time, leaping into the body of a different person in a different time period each week. With the help of his hologram friend, Al, Sam must help each person in order to leap to the next, all the while hoping his next leap will be the leap home. A Quantum Leap, again, another big old nostalgia throw in. I watched this growing up. 
but it's a really good representation of the 80s, early 90s serialized sci-fi, uh, you know, Knight Rider, Incredible Hulk. Um, but this, I think, heaven. is the best. Yeah, uh, it, it's sort of like a mon- well, it, we use the term in, in Buffy fandom of Monster of the Week, but mm-hmm. or X Files fandom as well. Uh, it's not really Monster of the Week; it's more Situation of the Week. Yeah. But it uses, like Doctor Who, it uses time travel uh, as a means to tell a lot of different stories using uh, the same characters. Yeah. Um, episodes were hit and miss. You know, some better than others. Some were heavy-handed with their obvious messages or tearjerker ploys. You know, uh, look in this one, Sam is black and he's facing racism. Racism is bad. Look in this uh, one, he's just married a Japanese woman and gone to a southern town. Racism is bad. Yeah. So sometimes they were a bit obvious with their messages. Uh, or sometimes, you know, the tearjerker ploys, you know, oh, will the girl get to keep her baby? And okay, yeah, hmm. but still, the heart of this show, Scott Bakula's amazing performance, uh, his character's struggle as he helps others, uh, often makes great personal sacrifices to help others. Yeah. Uh, Al. Yes. The lecherous hologram buddy. <laughs> uh, and their friendship, in a lot of ways, it became a buddy comedy, really. You had sort of your, uh, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles coming up, uh, thing going on here or or whatnot. But again, th- it made for an amazing show that we thought deserved a nod. And yes. really, this one easily could have been number five. Uh, the second one that we really considered as a number five. One of our favorite shows of all time. In the not-too-distant future. Mystery Science Theater 3000. In the not-too-distant future, a man and his robots are trapped on the satellite of love, where evil scientists force them to sit through the worst movies ever made. In order to keep their sanity, they heroically riff their way through B-movie after B-movie. We finally had to decide that this show wasn't quite in line with our definition of a sci-fi TV show. Even though it uses a sci-fi premise to um, riff on sci-fi movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, yes. But still, the focus of Mystery Science Theater 3000 is guys sitting around in a movie theater making fun of bad movies. Yeah. It uses a lot of sci-fi setup and whatnot, a uh, whole premise, to make that happen. And there's great sketches and comedy and, and even story uh, within that. But ultimately, the riffing and the comedy is the heart of this show, and it's not really a sci-fi show, even though we love Joel and Mike and their storylines. Yeah. It's about the gags and the riffs. But we love Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, we would highly recommend anyone watching it, and... Actually, Mike Nelson and uh, two of the gentlemen who voiced the robots, uh, Kevin Murphy and uh, Bill um, Corbett. Yes, Corbett. uh, Are now uh, doing Rift Tracks, uh, which really continues the MST3K tradition. Uh, They're just doing it with, like, modern movies or whatever movie they feel like, really, and creating... um, uh, 
an MP3 sound, sound yeah, type. Yeah, MP3, like an audio track that you listen yeah. to at the same time as you watch the movie uh, while they riff. Yeah. And it's really, really funny stuff. And uh, rifftracks.com if yes. you want to check that out. The Twilight movies are the best. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> they turn the bad Twilight movies into the best, funniest movies <laughs> ever made, ever. Yes. So there's that. All right, so that is our sci-fi recommendations. That's our top five sci-fi. Our long, and, long... <laughs> yes. And we hope that we will get to see uh, some of this kind of thing in Red Dwarf as we continue. Uh, again, we know Red Dwarf is a comedy. Yeah. Um, it uses sci-fi in its comedy, but it's, it's a comedy. And we can appreciate that. But we just thought we would talk about some things about sci-fi that we love and let you get to know us a little bit better. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to talk about this on the Facebook, uh, we can start comments on, you know, what's your favorite sci-fi of all time and why. That would be so cool. So we hope you have enjoyed this. Uh, we are, again, very sorry that we couldn't get that last episode out. But give us a little bit of time. Shane is actually uh, visiting Sarah right now. Uh, so we're going to be a bit delayed. But uh, our next episode coming up will be uh, a season one review. And we're going to talk a bit about the season ender uh, that we missed with technical difficulties. Which we liked. We did like the episode, if we you're really wondering. Did. Yes. <laughs> I think we gave it like an 8.5 and an 8 respectively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. All right, well, thank you for listening. Uh, join us again soon for more actual Red Dwarf talk. And, uh, oh, uh, you know what? Should we tell our contact information? Yes, yes. You can see us on the Facebook group, uh, group at Red Dwarf Introcast. You can email you... us at uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail dot com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at uh, uh, twitter dot com slash uh, Red Dwarf Intro. There you go. Okay. Seriously, thank you for listening. That is our sci-fi love story of the week. We will join you along with Shane and our new host, Paul, uh, for our uh, season end review. Yes. Bye. Bye.